We've been going through the book of Genesis this month, and there's been a word that's kind of a, if you will, innervated throughout each of the lessons, and I'll tell you, it really wasn't intentional. When I started this series, it just kind of has worked out that way, and that word is simply promise. Uh, we've seen from the very first week when we talked about how from the beginning when man fell that God already initiated a promise in the garden that, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent, right? It was a plan of redemption from the very beginning. And then we learned uh, a couple weeks ago about how that God spoke to Abraham and he spoke to him a covenant or a promise that he was going to make with Abraham and how that he was going to bring him out from among his own people, out from among the world, and give him a promised land. And then last week we learned um, that Isaac was that promised seed. And that he was the promised seed of this, this covenant, this first covenant made between God and man. And that through Isaac, the nation of Israel would be born. And we also kind of closed last night, by, or last week, by talking about how that Isaac was a type and shadow of Christ. We, we talked about all the amazing similarities about how that the age being the same, about how that Isaac willingly laying himself on an altar at the, at the uh, command of his father, about him carrying the own wood up the hill that he was to be used to be sacrificed with. We talked about that. And before I go on, I just want to give a little clarification here to something. When we say a type of Christ, because we also often talk about Joseph as a type of Christ, we do not mean that, that Isaac was Jesus, or that Isaac was God, or that Isaac was perfect. We, we learn as we read about Isaac, he made his own mistakes. But what we mean by a type of Christ was that he illustrated, or I should say he demonstrated, characteristics that were in line with Christ. That willingness to give up his own life is what Christ did. That willingness to be obedient to his father even unto death is what Christ did. So we're talking about an example here. So he was an example. Well, tonight I want to kind of continue on with this about the promise. And we're going to pick up in chapter 25. And, and you don't have to stand because we're going to literally read through this pretty much this whole chapter. Sort of similar to how we did uh, last week, we're going to go through these verses together. And tonight I want to talk to you about the bride of the promise. So last week we talked about the promise and an altar, about are you willing to lay your promise down on the altar. Tonight I want to talk about the bride of the promise. And I said chapter 25, I meant chapter 24, I apologize. Genesis chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife, Unto my son Isaac. So what do we see here? We see Abraham wanting a bride for his son. And I cannot dare do it justice um, the way that Pastor Powell, we were talking about this in his office, but the custom of the friend of the bridegroom. And essentially, I'll give you the very short Cliff Notes version, that 
the friend of the bridegroom would be sent out by either the, the groom-to-be or by the father of the groom to go and find a bride that met certain specifications or, or qualifications that the person was looking for. And when that person brought this bride back over the course of a week, if at the end of that week the groom decided this bride does not meet my, my qualifications or whatever it is, then the friend of the bridegroom would have to marry that bride and then care for that bride for the rest of their life. So this was no small ask. This was no small task that was being asked of this servant here to go out and find a bride. And we will see in a minute that some, there were some specifications um, listed here. But I also want you to notice that it was his eldest servant. Now we'll learn later who this servant was and why this is so important. Abraham tells his servant that he is to go into the land of his own people to find this bride. So we pick back up here in verse 5. And the, and the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Now that's King James speak for saying, If I go to this land and I try to find a bride and she won't come back with me, do I need to take Isaac to that land so that he can find a bride? So here's what verse 6 says. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. No, do not bring him back to that land. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. So he gives him a little clarification. He says, You're to go to the land of my father, the land that Abraham was called out of, and you're to find a bride. If the bride refuses to follow you back, then you're, you're good. You're clear. You are clear from the oath. But he said very specifically, do not bring Isaac back to that land that I came from. Now, I'll be honest. The first couple times I read through this, I had a little confusion in myself as to why was Abraham so adamant about Isaac not returning to his homeland to find him a bride. What, what was the big deal about the servant bringing Isaac back to his homeland to, to find his bride? And I'll tell you, as I kept reading through this, there's, to really understand, you have to back up a little bit. You see, Abraham was given a promise, but was told he must leave the land of his fathers and go to a place where God designated. Here, we see the initial roots of holiness. Abraham was called from a place established by man, and was called unto a place that would be established by God. So from the world unto God. Keep in mind that Abraham and Isaac are now in the land of Canaan. This is approximately 500 miles away from where Abraham began his journey. This would be a long journey um, to take by foot or even by beast. Imagine Isaac going back to a land full of his kindred. A land that was full of riches. A land that, where he would be welcomed and comfortable. You could see it would be very easy for Isaac to say, well, I want to stay here in this land. This is a land where I'm welcome. This is where a land where people like me. It's comfortable here. People know me. But notice God did not call Abraham to stay in that land. But he had called him to another land. And that's why we had just read that in his directions to the servant, he said, no, you must bring him to this land where God has called me. We pick back up here in verse 9. I'm going to talk a little more about this in a minute. But in verse 9, 
And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning the matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening. Even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. So here we find the servant making intercession to God for a specific sign. The sign was to signify who the bride of the promise was to be. Now, it may seem like a really kind of silly sign that this big intercession to God was, let the woman who offers me a drink also offer my camels a drink of water. Right? When I read that the first time, I'm like, that's kind of a silly sign right, to ask of God. But you have to think about what's happening here. He had ten camels that he brought with him. Each camel can drink conservatively up to 20 gallons at a time. So ten camels at 20 gallons apiece is 200 gallons. A gallon of water weighs approximately eight pounds. That's 1,600 pounds in total that this woman is hauling up out of this well. But notice here that in the promise he said that he did, he's not going to ask the woman to water the camels. She's going to offer to water the camels. It'll make sense in a minute. Verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. Notice verse 19. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Imagine this. Even if it's a short distance, imagine this. She went down this little embankment the way these wells were dug, drew up this water, had to bring it over to this trough, dump it into the trough, and go back and do it again. Enough to get 1,600 gallons worth of water. And she offered it of her own accord without being asked. And it says she hasted to do it, meaning she did it willingly and quickly. She wasn't begrudgingly saying, oh, why did I offer to do this for this man? This is stupid. She willingly did this of her own accord. In my mind, I'd be like, what did I get myself into? Right? But that's not what she did. She said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. She offered this up. It was speaking something of her character. 
In verse 21 it says, And the man wandering at her held his peace, to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So here the servant says, Okay, this is exactly what I prayed for, and now here is this woman who has fulfilled to the T of exactly what I asked for. So now he's waiting with bated breath saying, Okay, I think this is it. Notice the bride of the promise was also a virgin. The bride of the promise was a person who gave above and beyond what was asked of her. In verse 22 it says, And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of a half shekel in weight, and two bracelets for her hands, and ten shekels weight of gold. So he gives this to the woman. Now as the servant recognized that this was to be the bride of the promise, he begins to woo her with gifts. You see, he recognized the value of this bride of promise and that she was worth even more than the gold or jewels that he could offer her. Now notice the question that was then asked by the servant. In verse 23 it says, And said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee. And then listen to this phrase. Is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? Is there room? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. Again, she goes above and beyond. She says, Sir, not only is there room, but we have enough supplies for you to sleep on and to provide food for your camels. And he said, or in 26, and the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he had heard the words of Rebekah and his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. So her brother, seeing these things, was also willingly accepting and said, there is room for you. Come on in. Now in verse 32 through 48, I'm not going to read these. I'll just kind of give you the summary of them. We see that the servant is recounting the oath that he had made to Abraham and the prayer that was prayed to God concerning a sign for the future bride of the promise. So what's, what's happened here is he's now arrived at the house and he's sitting with the family members and he's telling the family members how he ended up there, how that his master Abraham had sent him to find a wife, and how that when he arrived, he prayed a very specific prayer, and how that God answered that prayer in Rebekah. So now we pick back up in verse 49. It says, And now if ye will do kindly, with, kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So the servant here is saying, Okay, now that I've explained all these things, how will you respond? Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord, and we cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass, 
that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. I love verse 53 because it says that even after he had already received the answer he was looking for, even after the family had said yes, and we'll see in a minute, this wasn't some like betrothal where Rebecca had no choice because they asked Rebecca too, and she says yes. Even after getting the answer yes, this servant still gives even more precious jewels and gold to Rebecca. Again, recognizing the value that this promised bride has. In verse 54, it says, And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning. And he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at, at the least ten, and she, the, uh, after that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now I love this. Because remember I told you that what was the big deal about, about um, Isaac not going back to the land and about how this was all working out. You see... Imagine now, again, Isaac going back to the land of his kindred, being received so warmly, being among kindred, finding this beautiful wife, and the family says, oh, but you just need to stay with us. Just stay here with us so we can have hers here too, and you can stay also. But the servant, who understood he was on a mission, instead said, no, do not hinder me, because I'm on a mission from the Lord. And he said, I need to leave immediately and bring this bride unto the groom. And the bride says, yes, I will go. This is amazing to me because of this. God calls us out of the world and unto himself. And we find that our friends, even in the world, may be receptive up to a point. But then they may say, well, that's a little too far. Maybe, maybe you don't need to do quite all of that. You know, give us at least 10 days before you go and start doing all that to reconsider all of this. But Rebecca, in her response, says, no, I will go now. I will listen to the voice of the Lord immediately. And she leaves the land that man had made to go into the land that God had promised Abraham and then Isaac. And now the story concludes beautifully as Isaac is standing in a field waiting for the return of his bride. Not sitting in his house in comfort, laying down on his recliner. He's standing in the field, anxiously awaiting this bride. And then we see the story that Rachel is sitting on the back of the, the animal as they ride up. And she asks the servant, she says, Servant, who is this man that waits in the field? And he says, This is my master. And she jumps down off the beast and covers her, her face in a veil and runs to her groom. And then we see the very first time ever recorded in Scripture, in the last verse, this phrase where the husband loved his wife. It's the very first time it's ever recorded where it says specifically that the husband loved his wife. 
Now, I want to back up a little bit because I want to say, what can we take from this story? How, how does this story relate to us today? It's a great story, but what's, what's the relevance to us today? And the first thing we need to know is this. Who was the servant? Remember I told you at the beginning that we'll learn a little more about who the servant specifically is and what, what is his real importance here. Well, to, to know the answer to this, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 15. In the first three verses of Genesis 15, listen to what it says. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So this Eliezer was the steward of his house, and when you read here in chapter 24, it's the servant who had control over all of the stuff, the steward of his house. So this servant's name was Eliezer. Why is this important? Do you know what the meaning of Eliezer is? One who comforts, or the comforter. So we find that the comforter went out to find a bride for the seed of promise. Then this comforter gave gifts to this bride to be so that she would know her value to the groom. This comforter then led this bride to, be, to meet the groom so that they could not only be married, but he brought her so that they could dwell in the house of the promise. We also find in the story that the response of Rebecca was to go above and beyond what was asked of her by the comforter. Her heart was such that she did not hesitate when called by the comforter. Then when her family wanted her to stay for 10 more days, she instead responded immediately to the call to go to the groom. I think we can start to see some of these parallels. So let me wrap up with some closing thoughts. If Isaac is a type of Christ, then Rebecca would be a bride, which is the church. What we see in this story is how the church should respond to Christ. How that the woman was a virgin was pure. How that the woman went above and beyond to meet the needs asked of her. How that the woman did so with a heart that was in the right place and not begrudgingly. And then we see that when asked to respond to leave her family, she willingly accepted and left. Eliezer represents the Spirit of God that calls each of us to become the Bride of Christ. This same Spirit gives us gifts to show us that we are loved and valued by God. But sadly, we do not always respond the way that this first bride responded. In fact, we find that the Jews responded very differently. They were to be a part of the Bride of Christ. They were Jesus came to them first. They were to, to be a part of the bride, but they rejected Christ. Now, here's what I find kind of, kind of neat is that in Isaac, the type of Christ, and Rebecca, the type of how the church should have been, they met at a well. But in this encounter, the woman at the well immediately responds and gives the man exactly what he's looking for. And yet we find Jesus at the well also meeting a woman, but this woman, ashamed in her sin, tries to lie to Jesus. And Jesus has to kind of point out to her 
where she had gone awry. And then the woman did respond correctly. You see, because Jesus loves us as the bride and is willing to continue to give us gifts, even ones that we are not worthy of in our sin, but he has made us worthy in his righteousness. And because he loves us, he continues to give us gifts. Whereas Rebecca willingly left her family and her old life to go to meet Isaac, many of us still struggle at times with wanting to go back to the land of our fathers. And finally, I'll close with the question that Eliezer asked Rebecca in verse 23. Is there room for me? I seem to remember the same scenario where Jacob, or Joseph and Mary were looking for room for Jesus. And yet, they could find no room. They came into a world that was not willing to show them room, to show them all the mercy and kindness that Rebecca has shown to the servant of Abraham. So is there room in your heart for Jesus? And when we think of this question, here's what we often think of. We think of it in terms of, well, yeah, there's room. I, I, I already like, got baptized and I, I got the Holy Ghost, so obviously there's room. But you see, what happens is when you live in a house for a long time, you start to gather all this clutter. And that clutter starts taking up all this space and then one day you realize, I need to find this really important thing, but I can't find it amongst all the clutter in my house. See, we make room for what we prioritize. We make room for what's important to us. So are we in a place individually where the room that we've made is specifically for Jesus and everything else is outside of that room? That he is the sole authority, the sole focus that we look at there. Now, I have the very distinct pleasure of getting to see someone enter into this promise, to, to say, yes, I will find room, and in a little bit, we're going to baptize Genevieve. And she's asked me several times, you know, through the years, well, I say through the years, over the past probably year, um, about baptism. She's seen other kids be baptized. She's seen others get baptized, and she's like, when can I do that? And so we've had these talks off and on. Well, what does it mean to be baptized? Can you tell me in your own words, wh why are you doing this? What is all of this representing? And this is the building blocks, the starting foundation to, to preparing that room for Jesus. So if we could all stand, I want to close in a word of prayer. My wife has already left. She's getting Genevieve ready. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to baptize Genevieve here in a moment. And what I want us to pray is to just take a moment to re-examine ourselves. Because finding room for Jesus is not saying that, I'm, that you're a horrible sinner and that, that you are doing all these bad and evil things. But, but the truth is we get busy in life. We, we, we get stretched a lot of different ways. And it can be easy for us to take our focus off of what's really important. And that's why Isaac had to, to not go back to the land of his father's but stay and dwell only in the land of promise so that his mission was to bring not only himself into the land of promise, but to bring a bride out of the world into the land of promise. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to stay focused on you, O oh God, to make room for you, for what's important in our life. Lord, and not only that, but that we would be focused on bringing others into a relationship with you, O oh God, that we would demonstrate your love and your mercy that we would show the great gifts that you have given us willingly and freely. 
that others would see that there is value found only in you, O oh God. I pray that for those of us who are parents, that we would continue to be examples to our children so that they would make room for you. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, where we work, where we go to school, where we have friends, that we would be that example, Lord. Let us show those gifts that you have given us, that mercy, that truth, that grace. Lord, let us be an example, for we are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. Let us be a good example of you. Let us be a good representation of who you are. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. I give you glory and honor, and I thank you for giving me the great honor of baptizing Genevieve. I pray let this be a starting point. In Jesus' name, amen.